0: Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4 from the Common English Bible. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It's written, people won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God, the word of God for the people of God. A few months ago, the Washington Post published an article about fending for dinner. The reader response to the article was so strong that the author published a follow-up about a month later. The original article described the idea of fending for dinner is to minimize dishes and waste and to assemble a plate of proteins and carbohydrates, fiber and vegetables in an effort to form a full meal. So essentially, that's a fancy way of saying leftovers. You clean out your fridge, you get all the little bits that are left over. In my house, it often takes the form of some type of fried rice or a taco bowl of some kind. Not fancy. Not fancy. But it is nourishing. And it makes sure that we don't waste anything that is still good in our fridge. The second article included a lot of reader uh, comments about their experience with this. And quote, according to one reader, it's called tira in the Philippines, though others use the general term for snack, merienda. Some Spanish-speaking readers call it pica pica, some call it tapas. Other names for the, bra- for the practice include nibbling, pick-up meal, alchemy, kitchen sink, deja vu, and the fun portmanteau, planned overs. There was one reader comment that really struck me. She wrote, I'm from North Carolina, and since I was a child, we called it bonus meals, and they were enjoyed for their variety. My husband is from England, where the same concept is referred to as gracious living. For example, let's have gracious tonight. I really like the idea of planning my menus for a week, and including the idea of writing down gracious for dinner. What a beautiful idea to look at the abundance that can come from the scraps of previous meals and call it Gracious. In our current worship series, Liturgy of the Ordinary, we are looking for God's grace in the habits of our ordinary lives. And today we looked at the gift and power of God's word and where grace is sprinkled throughout our lives. Today's gospel lesson from Matthew is the story that immediately follows the baptism of Jesus. The final verse of the chapter just before what Sharon read for us says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I find happiness in him. And then immediately we are into the story we just heard. Then the spirits led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He was starving. Now, fasting is a practice that we most often associate with the season of Lent. At the church where I served prior to Central, every Lent we would practice something we called give up and give back. This encouraged folks to save whatever money they saved from their fasting practice during Lent and to give that money to a special Lenten mission project. One year I gave up eating at a particular fast food restaurant in town, and I was pretty shocked at the size of the check that I wrote six weeks later because $7 fast food meals start to add up pretty quickly over the course of six weeks. But fasting is not a discipline solely for the season of Lent. John Wesley, The Anglican priest who inspired the Methodist movement had a practice of fasting at least once a week, and more often on certain seasons of the year. In 2015, we here at Central practiced 90 days of prayer, and within that time frame, we had a few weeks where we focused our attention on the prayer practice of fasting, Now, we did not fast from food for a solid week or two weeks. We didn't fast for 40 days like Jesus did. But we did practice what it was to be hungry and to allow that hunger to turn our attention to God. But Jesus, the scripture tells us, went without food for 40 days and 40 nights. Our translation tells us that at the end of this time, quote, Jesus... Was starving. He would have been physically hungry, but more than that, he would have been emotionally raw and vulnerable. Many times when someone has skipped a meal or two, they describe their emotional state as hangry, that feeling of anger and hunger and grumpiness all combined. Jesus is in a state of physical and emotional vulnerability. And this is the moment when the tempter shows up. Now he knows that Jesus was named as God's son at his baptism just before going into the wilderness. And so the tempter uses that as a challenge to Jesus's identity. So he says, since you are God's son command these stones to become bread. But Jesus rebuffs the tempter with the line that you heard just a moment ago. It's written, people don't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. It is written. Where? Where is that written? Jesus is quoting the scriptures that he would have studied as a child growing up in the synagogue. He is remembering the story of the Exodus. God provided food in the wilderness for Israelites who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so here Jesus is turning his attention back to a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever experienced. So that he could teach you that people don't live on bread alone. No, they live based on whatever the Lord says. The Exodus was an experience of liberation from slavery. And now Jesus has come into the world to proclaim release from captivity to sin. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, and during that time, he remembered that ancient wilderness journey of God's people leaving slavery and finding liberation. And on that journey, God provided them manna to eat. But he knew that the nourishment God provided was more than just the physical bread. Later in his ministry, Jesus would call himself the bread. Of life. And there, a very hungry Jesus is standing before the tempter. He is at his most vulnerable. And when he says it is written, he reminds us of the gift of God's word. We do not live by physical bread alone. How often, when we are tired and vulnerable, do we turn to something to comfort us and numb our pain? How often do we seek comfort from food or sex or drugs or gossiping or wasting time on social media or spending money through shopping or gambling? Dr. Brene Brown has written extensively on the power of vulnerability. She writes, vulnerability is the core, the heart, the center of meaningful experiences. Her research shows how often people respond to vulnerability with some type of a numbing behavior. She expanded on this idea in an interview, and she says, quote, "If I get laid off at work and I post on Facebook, I get twenty responses like, "I've got your back," or "I'm sorry," and that feels great. But it's different than if I call you on the phone and say, "Hey." It's Brene. I got laid off today. Do you have 10 minutes? She explains, That real person request is a vulnerable bid for connection. I'm asking you, can you put everything down and hold space for me for the next 10 minutes? I'm in some pain. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus is extremely vulnerable He would rightly want bread for his body, for he is physically hungry. But more than that, the tempter knows he is emotionally vulnerable. And instead of giving into temptation to abuse his power, he turns to God's word. He does not turn away from his vulnerability. Instead, he understands his ultimate human state, and he turns to God's word word when we are vulnerable where do we turn for comfort do we have a favorite numbing activity or do we have a way that we can accept our human state of vulnerability and find a way to turn to god for comfort to seek the bread of life one of the ways that we can accept our human vulnerability and turn to God is through a prayer practice known as the Ignatian Examine. In 1491, a man was born in Spain, and he grew up to be St. Ignatius of Loyola. And he taught this practice that helps humans identify our feelings of consolation and desolation. Consolation. Consolation describes when a person is moving towards God's active presence in the world. We notice this when we sense an increase in love, in faith, in hope, in mercy, in compassion, or any of the qualities that we would name as fruit of the Spirit. If I am becoming more kind and more compassionate and more patient, that is a sign of consolation, but consolation doesn't just mean happiness. There can be many emotions in consolation. Sometimes, in fact, we can be in a state of consolation, but also be in a time of trial, just like Jesus was. In his time of temptation, he found consolation in God's written word. There are times in our life when we are faced with challenges that transform us. In Romans chapter 5, St. Paul wrote, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character, hope. So sometimes even in suffering... If we stop and notice God at work, it will lead us to that process that brings us to hope. When we stop and notice that our spirit and our attention is on God, we can discover how God is trying to transform and shape us. And sometimes we stop and notice a spirit of desolation. Now, we might notice this if we see an increase in our hearts of resentment, selfishness, fear. If I'm in a spirit of desolation, I might try to alleviate this state by drinking too much or eating too much or seeking those numbing activities that Dr. Brene Brown described. They might distract me from that feeling of desolation they might leave me feeling better in the moment but they do not lead me to deeper joy or peace or love margaret self describes consolation in this way she says it directs our outward focus beyond ourselves it opens our hearts to notice the joys and sorrows of others It generates new inspiration ideas. It releases new energy in us. And then she describes the state of desolation. It turns us in on ourselves, cuts us off from community, and it covers up all the signs of God at work in our life, and it leaves us feeling drained of energy. So when we pray this examined prayer, we invite God to bring to our minds those moments in our day and in our week where we have experienced consolation and desolation. Sometimes the Holy Spirit brings up small moments that would otherwise be completely overlooked. This prayer reminds me of that moment when you stand in front of the fridge and you pull out all those little bits of leftover food to create your bonus meal or your gracious living meal. We look for the crumbs of grace in our day where we felt our hearts draw near to God when we felt love from an encouraging word from a friend, or when we were inspired by the beauty of a rainbow or a sunset. We pull all of these crumbs of grace together, and we feast on a meal of grace and find our souls nourished. So often, we expect that spiritual experience in life are those mountaintop experiences where something dramatic happens. We go away on retreat and experience God's grace in a new way. Or when worship is particularly moving in some way, those high points when we taste and see that the Lord is good. But most often, our spiritual formation, our spiritual growth, it happens In those small moments, the small moments of grace that we gather together in those ordinary moments of our days. And we too often overlook these crumbs of grace. If we don't stop and pause, we will miss God's presence in our ordinary lives. Jesus, starving and vulnerable, did not stop and turn those stones to bread He did not go for that dramatic big show that would have entertained the masses had there been people there waiting for a miracle. Instead, Jesus, who had been formed by God's word, he knew that God would provide. And so he resisted temptation. There are two other moments of temptation that follow this story of stones and bread. And at the very end of all three, Scripture tells us, Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited upon him. God provided angels for Jesus. God provides moments of grace for us, too. Our weekly worship helps us to orient our hearts and minds to be attentive to what God is doing in our lives and in this world Our daily devotional practices help us notice those crumbs of grace throughout our day so that we can see what God is doing in the ordinary moments. Our private practices of prayer and seeking those crumbs of grace help us to discover what Jesus knew so well. He knew that we needed more than bread alone. So often we try to fill the hunger within us with junk. But at the end of the day, what might look like leftovers may instead be an opportunity to feast upon grace that was scattered throughout our ordinary day. Thanks be to God. Today, I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer with a very short version of the examine. If this becomes a habit of yours, you might be setting aside 20 minutes for this type of prayer. But we will take just a few moments. So I'll invite you into a spirit of prayer as we turn our attention to this last week. Allow the Holy Spirit to bubble up memories or moments of consolation or desolation. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day, for our lives, and for who you made us to be as your beloved children. We ask you in this time of prayer that you would help us to see our days through your eyes. We ask that your Holy Spirit would have us see where you have been at work so that we can be attentive to all that you have to teach us. As we turn our minds to the events of the past week, we wonder, where did I feel the most love? Where did I feel the least love? Where was I most at peace? And where did I cause pain or fall short of your glory, O oh God? As I look to this week that is to come, what would you have me do this week, O oh Lord? God of abundant grace, you have given us a feast of grace. So often we overlook the nourishment that you provide us. In this moment, we behold the crumbs of grace and we hunger for more of your righteousness. Lord, we pray for those who hunger for bread but find only stones. For those who seek justice but can find no advocate who will help them. O Lord, let me hunger enough that I not forget the world's hunger. O Lord, let me hunger enough that I may long for the bread of heaven. But Lord, let me not hunger so much that I seek after that which is not bread, nor try to live by bread alone. We pray today in the name of the one who is the bread of life, and we pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.